When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, it's the analyst inside cricket, Simon Hughes and Simon Mann with you to firstly review England's overall tour of Australia. Of course, they're now in New Zealand starting the final leg of an endless winter. And then after the break, actually, we're going to hear from another rugby aficionado. We had a rugby man on last week, Clive Woodward, and we've got another one this week, Rob Andrew, the former England fly half, who now, of course, is chief executive of Sussex, and he's got some very interesting and quite strong views about the future of county championship cricket, with, of course, a big announcement due this week to find out which counties and which grounds are going to get the big matches, the major matches from 2020, and also how the big new T20 tournament is going to work. But first, Simon, we should look at how England have gone overall. They lost those two T20 matches, the final two matches in Australia. They must be Pretty happy to have gone to New Zealand, I reckon. Well, they were delayed by five hours. Their flight out of Australia was delayed by five hours. They probably thought, well, let's get out of the country. It's time to go. And they couldn't do it. Um, Perhaps it summed it up, really. Overall, really disappointing tour. They lost the Test Series. They lost two 2020 matches at the end. And one thing I'd say about the 2020s, it was not England's strongest side. And Australia got that momentum as well because they're playing big bash cricket going into that T20 tournament. But they did look a good side, Australia. I thought they, you know, they've got some powerful hitters and they've got some clever bowlers as well. That's the key to it, actually, I think, is just the, the deception of the Australian faster bowlers. They haven't got anybody that has real mystery spin or anything, and that's where I think England do have an advantage. And Adil Rashid is still a very valuable asset in T20 and one-day cricket. Still people struggling to read him, actually, even though he's been around now for what, three or four years and he's played in quite a few T20 tournaments around the world, but still they're not picking his googly and his slider all the time. So that's good to know, actually, that he's been working on his deception. But it's deception, I think, that has let England down with the seamers. They have got guys like David Willey who take wickets when the ball is is doing a bit through the air and he's taken some good early wickets uh, in this T20 series. But I feel that the bowling is just too plain otherwise. And you're right to say it isn't necessarily England's full-strength side. But if you look at the Australian bowling, they just have very good changes of pace. They've got guys like Richardson, uh, AJ Ty, Andrew Ty the tall Stan Lake, Marcus Stoinis, even him as well. They have very good changes of pace. They bowl a quite an aggressive shorter ball, which gets up into the ribs and is around sort of 88, 87 miles an hour. But then they alternate with some very cleverly disguised slower balls. I've noticed the one that Andrew Ty bowls is a sort of knuckle ball where he folds his index and middle finger behind the ball as he lets go of it. So the batsman can't really see that change. And then the real key is to have your arm coming over still at quite a high speed, but the ball obviously looping out. And actually, 
as time has gone on, I think England have, have figured out that in a way, you, with with Andrew Ty, who's taken a lot of wickets in T Twenty cricket, you're always playing as a slower bowler and and just get ready for the quicker one, but expect the the slower balls to be the stop balls, and then in a way, you're you're less likely to be deceived by them. But I just think England's quicker bowlers. They're just not clever enough. I mean, I'm not saying they're they're bad bowlers. Tom Curran is, is learning his 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 game still. Chris Jordan, pretty good, but I don't think they read the batsman particularly well. I certainly don't think Jordan does, and I don't necessarily think Willie does either. I think Tom Curran is 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 a special talent. I think he does read batsmen, but he just lacks that bit of extra pace, that bit of extra venom that makes his slower balls that bit more effective at international levels. The Aussies have just batted out of their skin and, and actually they have got amazing power in that batting batting order in the T20 side, which I think they're going to probably have to incorporate into their ODI side, don't you? Well, that's what Darren Lehman's been talking about. He said we, we need to get a bit more of that dynamism in. I think he's, he's seen how the, the white ball summer has gone in Australia, the way England played and the way his team played. And then he's seen the, the T20 matches that they played against England. and He's seen that, that power Chris Lynn at the top of the order and there's some talk that well he, he's sort of dedicated himself to T20 but there's some talk well can we get him into the 50 over side as well can we get him to play some of that he's of course he's he's played very well in shield cricket he's got a 250 but he's really concentrating on T20 cricket which you know some people say well that's the way the game is going other power players they've got in their lineup as well like Stoinis like Glenn Maxwell who was I was at that press conference when Steve Smith uh, in Sydney when they announced their one day squad and Steve Smith was was asked about Maxwell and he said well you know we don't think he's he's quite right for us at the moment he needs to work on his fitness eventually he gets in and we saw the hundred of course there was that controversial moment with the the Jason Roy catch I think my favorite moment from the T20 series you talk about variations and, and cleverness in bowling in Australia have that dismissal of James Vince, that that Yorker that he mm. that Andrew Ty bowled to him, completely deceived him. It was a superb piece of bowling, and it's it's moments like that that really stand out. You think about a lot of the time, you think about batting and power play and big strokes in, in, in T20 cricket. But it's wonderful, I think, when you see a bowler deceive a batsman like that. I think that would be my highlight of the the T20 matches that England played against Australia. I, I thought, actually, Australia really sort of wrapped up England's batting. They just couldn't break free at all. England have got, you know, in theory, a, a powerful batting lineup, but they could not break free. And I thought that's where Australia won it, actually, was in their bowling. And their batsmen didn't have the big totals, the really challenging totals to chase down. And so we're not quite under as much pressure. It was the bowlers that won it for Australia. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And also, the captaincy of Warner got to some plaudits too. And it's interesting how players respond to different captains because you know Steve Smith's a very intense guy, isn't he? And although he really started his career or his the elevation of his career in one-day cricket, he now feels like a test specialist who is struggling to adapt to the one-day format and perhaps has rather rigid ideas about one-day cricket and that maybe conveys itself to some of the players because if you look at, say, Glenn Maxwell, uh, his performance under two different captains, I mean, not not a massive uh, amount of evidence really, but in eight T20 matches under Steve Smith, he's averaged 37 and with six T20 matches under David Warner, he's averaged 185 and you can just feel somehow... 
he just looks more at home with with a character like Warner and maybe Smith being this very dedicated intense character probably suffering from a bit of OCD in in, in some ways it might be just doesn't communicate the right ideas to Maxwell Maxwell doesn't feel at ease under under Smith's captaincy and maybe he does under Warner, yeah, that that disputed catch, of course, was the, the turning point in that game with Maxwell at that point on about sixty, and Jason Roy came in to to take the catch at long off, and he was slightly slow to get to the ball. I mean, he's a brilliant fielder, Roy, uh, but he he had to take it very low with his fingers spread, and though all the commentators thought it was out. Uh, you know, you immediately thought, well, as soon as they're going to go to the replays, there's going to be some doubt over it. And because his fingers were spread and also the camera it doesn't get underneath the, the ball or underneath the fingers sufficiently, it was obviously given not out. But I, I do think, and, I, and I've written this, that fielders are going to have to try and catch the ball a different way with their fingers together when they squeeze together when they take low catches. Because it just seems to me that even though people doubt... The, the camera's accuracy, it doesn't lie and it does look as if the ball touches the ground in many of these cases and it probably does as much as anything because the impact of the ball coming from the sky and landing on soft fingers is going to push the fingers into the ground and the ball's going to touch the ground anyway even though the fielder doesn't feel as if it's touched the ground. If their fingers are spread, the ball has to be able to press the, the fingers sort of into the ground, and if there's any gaps between the fingers, the ground's going to kind of poke up between them. So I think, you know, 90% of those catches probably are not out, even though a lot of the fielders think they are out. Hmm. I'm, not, I'm not entirely in agreement on that. I, I think a few more of them are, are out than, than not out. And I, But I take your point, it does, on occasions, perhaps more than on one or two occasions, look as if the ball has bounced. There was a very interesting case in the one-day international between South Africa and India on Saturday at the Wanderers where Rabada took a return catch. Now this is interesting because he was the bowler and it was a very low catch on the pitch which of course is shaved down. The problem with the outfield is the grass is just a little bit longer and what was fascinating about this is it was a disputed catch. He did go to the third umpire but because the the pitch is shaved down you could see clearly that although he took it low down he did get it in the end of his fingers now of course if that had been on the outfield if that had been an outfield catch then I reckon it would have been given not out even though he did catch it and there's you know there is that element of you know what is the ground is it is it, is it the <laughs> yeah. you know, is it the blades of grass little bits of blades of grass well or, it has to be surely it has to be the blades of grass and, and the advantage i suppose of taking a catch court and bowl on the pitch is that the you've got stump cameras as well which are quite low yeah. into the stumps so you can actually get not quite under the ball but as low as possible whereas most of the match cameras are either at head height or even higher so, you know, you don't get that angle, which is going to really tell you the, the truth. But, you know, I, th- these debates are going to go on and on because cameras are not going to, they're not going to put, you know, blade cam, are they? Or ball cam <laughs> or finger cam. Maybe we need that. Uh, we're not going to get that. So uh, th- th- these um, arguments are go then go on and on. Overall, England are now in New Zealand and they look back at the Australian leg of their winter with a fair amount of disappointment. Uh, played 12, won four, that's the one-dayers, lost seven, drawn one. So hasn't been particularly good, has it? And who's uh, enhanced their reputations? Not too many. 
David Milan, absolutely, for sure. Tom Curran, I suppose he has. Well, well, he definitely has. Maybe Joe Roots maintained his reputation. Who else? I think there was a noble effort from Jimmy Anderson, carried the attack in the Test Series. But you're right, overall, you won't look back on the 2017-18 tour of Australia and said, you know, this player really emerged and this player caught the eye. You're, you're right about Tom Curran, just that wonderful performance he produced in Perth, sort of that, just that indication for the future, and David Milan as well, who, who showed everybody that he has got something about him in all forms of the game, actually, although he did show it in the Test Arena. It, it, Joe Root batted stubbornly I think and and effectively towards the end of the the Ashes series but overall had no real impact on the series so I think you know the, the Australians got to look at uh, the class of Root what they didn't see from him were the big scores that that changed games the big scores that Steve Smith produced that won the Ashes series along with that class bowling attack it seems to have gone on forever doesn't it the the Ashes winter if you like and the, the Australian tour and there's still more of it to come they don't come home from New Zealand till the first week of of April it is a relentless schedule and you talk about the one day series and all the T20 series has just finished I mean how can you judge the two teams in a way England missing several players and Australia just coming off the back of the the big bash they were sort of right in form for it and England they're team denuded that's often the problem for international cricket in a way is, is are you seeing the best team play the best team it's only when you get the big tournaments the t20 in australia in 2020 the world cup in england in 2019 that you can really judge who has made the most significant progress and england i guess absolutely craving the return of of ben stokes which should happen Later in the week, I guess, after his court appearance, he's, I, hope, I guess, hoping to join up with the team at the weekend and start actually playing some cricket for England, which would be an exciting moment for him and England. Well, they, they've missed him hugely, clearly. Whether he would have changed the course of the winter, who knows? But you know my feeling on this. As soon as I heard what happened in, in Bristol on the, the end of September, I thought, no chance in the Ashes. I didn't think England had a great chance in the Ashes before that incident, but once Stokes was going to be out of the ashes, I didn't think they had uh, any chance at all. It will be fantastic to see him back. He's a, he's a he's a wonderful cricketer, and he's not got anything to prove as such. But he's got some some ground to make up. And talking of uh, major developments, we're going to look after the break at the impact on one of the smaller counties of the announcement of the major match allocation for 2020 and also the announcement of the team locations for the new T20 tournament, which is coming up this week. Well, welcome back. Some big announcements from the ECB this week, although I don't think there's going to be a huge number of surprises. I think we pretty much know where the T20 venues are going to be for the new 2020 competition in 2020, it's going to be the six test match playing grounds plus Cardiff with possibly a few matches in Bristol and plus Southampton. Those are going to be the, the eight centres. And then we'll also find out where test matches are going to be played from 2020 onwards. A lot of interest, of course, about where the games are going to be played and where the Ashes test matches are going to be played. There's talk that Southampton is going to get a test match in the Ashes series in 2023. It is the location of the teams for the 2020 tournament that's coming up uh, in a couple of years' time that holds I think, m- most interest what about the venues that are not going to be staging matches and that's what we're going to look at in the second half of this podcast I mean the thing is that uh, the, the reason why those major 
venues are going to get the the, the matches and the, the sort of headquarters of each of the the T20 city teams is because they're the biggest grounds and the aim, the ambition of the ECB is to get 30,000 crowds even 40 and 50,000 if they use the Olympic stadium perhaps to get that many people through the gate of these new matches staged in probably July and August of the year 2020 and the grounds like Chelmsford and Taunton and Bristol and others that don't have that capacity they might get the odd game but they probably won't get many what they'll be able to do is focus very heavily on the T20 tournament which is ongoing a lot of people think the new tournament is going to completely sideline the the main T20 tournament that we have now which is at the moment known as the Blast but I don't think it will. I think for the early part of the season, May, June, July, there'll still be Thursday and Friday night matches. That means that grounds like Chelmsford and Hove and, and Taunton and others can still have their Thursday and Friday night fix at T20 and keep their supporters happy. But, of course, uh, the, the, the big focus then in August will be on the bigger grounds for this uh, eight-team tournament whose names, we are told, are not going to be uh, associated with counties they're going to be warriors or dragons or something like that with no actual uh, county affiliation it's been uh, quite a lot of secrecy around this actually I mean I've talked to a few chief executives uh, in the last few days and none of them actually know which of the grounds it's going to be for sure and none of them know any of the team names either when you say the team names and there's no association with the with the county, is there going to be an association with the, with the city they're going to be played in as well, or is it just going to be completely neutral? So you're going that's to have... a good question, and and I think that the, the ECB's research is that they've decided that if they associate a team with a county or a city, it's got the potential to alienate a lot of other people. So uh, from other cities or other regions of that county, so. I think that the the aim is to not have city names, but to have generic names. And as a result, people will be able to affiliate with those names better. Otherwise, you're going to get if if a team is Leeds Rangers or something, then that is definitely going to possibly alienate people from Hull or York or Bradford or Halifax or wherever. So I think that that they need to be quite careful about how they get these names so that they don't put a lot of people off. So the focus is going to be on the venue. It's going to be Old Trafford, it's going to be Headingley, it's going to be Edgbaston, it's going to be the Oval. What about somewhere like Hove? I remember going to a World Cup match at Hove in 1999, a huge game, South Africa against India, and all the flats around the grounds, people had hired them out so they could watch the game, all the Indian supporters, their flags around the ground. There were, there were hundreds of people watching outside the ground because it wasn't big enough and that that's one of the problems for a place like Hove the ground is not big enough to host the new 2020 tournament but of course Sussex have been county champions in the 21st century you've been speaking to Rob Andrew Simon he's got some very strong views about the future of the county championship which we'll hear in a moment but this is also what he's been saying about being a county that could well be marginalized by the new 2020 tournament if you're going to get any chance of playing red ball cricket whilst, say, the new T20 competition is on, because the members for all the clubs will want to watch some some four-day cricket whilst the new T20 is on in July and August. And I think we're going to have to find a way of doing that. Even though we will lose our best T20 players, we've got to 
try and keep it, you know, if we think red ball cricket is important, and I mean, that's another debate that the game has to have, I think. Um, otherwise, if we just let this carry on, it will just be all white ball cricket in 10 years' time. Yorkshire have come out recently. I mean, Mark Arthur and Martin Moxon have got a very good piece, in my view, on their website around, you know, looking at this. We've got to think about what the season structure looks like from 2020 onwards. And nobody's doing that at the moment because everybody's so focused on international match allocations from 2020 and the new 2020 competition. That's, you know, where everybody's focused. And actually what what we need to do as well at ground level, where, let's say, where we're at as a county is, OK, so what does our cricket look like from 2020 onwards? What are we offering our members? Mm. What are we offering our supporters, our players who won't be in the new T20? And, you know, not... It's, not there's a lot of professional cricket players who will not be playing in the new T20 competition. Mm. Are we just going to leave them to do nothing mm. for six weeks? Mm. That's not good for the game, surely. Especially at that time of year when people are on holiday and and so on. And what, what about um, you know? Do you look wistfully at rugby and you know, especially when the Six Nations is on, and sort of admire the the advances that rugby have made and, and kind of look at cricket and think, well, you know, I'm in this sort of terrible puzzle and uh, how do I get out of it? And, you know, you look looking a little bit kind of more with rose-tinted spectacles at your old sport. Oh, no, not really, to be honest. I, th- I think, you know, I look clearly, I've, I've been involved in rugby for a very long time, still watch it and I'll, I'll, I'll continue to be involved. Um, you know, as with all sports, rugby's got its challenges as well, you know, whether it's financial challenges or, you know, injury issues with the sport. You know, there's all every sport has a challenge. So I think cricket's about competing but also developing and actually everybody developing their own players with a few choice overseas players to help the quality. But you're fundamentally about developing your own players and growing cricket in your area. Um, and I think we need to get back to that personally, and I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one that shares this view in, in the county game, I don't think. Um, and because also, the way the modern game is, you very rarely in county cricket have best v best because they go off and play for England or the Lions or they're playing in the IPL. So, you, you know, you, putting promotion and relegation in just puts an added pressure that, that I don't think the game needs, to be honest. Cricket's got its challenges, undoubtedly, but it's also got it's also got a fantastic opportunity as well now to sort of get this next bit right. You know, there is there is this new thing on the scene, which is T20 around the world. Um, and the way I look at it is, is T20 is going to provide the finance to effectively protect and and almost save and possibly grow the rest of the game. And I think that's the way to look at it, is to say, look, we've got huge opportunities in the girls' game, in the women's game. Um, You know, we need to keep growing participation. And, and you know, cricket's still a very important part of an English summer. You drive around most counties in, in the English summer, there's... Every village has got a cricket ground or a green or, you know, a square. Um, so there's lots of things there that, that cricket's got going for it. As a county, if you produce a Joe Root or 
In our case, we might not see much of Joffre going forward, but that's just the nature of the beast. And you say, well, OK, well, let's go and find the next one. Well, that's Rob Andrew. Some clear views on the future of the county championship there, Simon. A totally against two divisions and promotion and relegation like that. He wants some form of conference system, which was put forward by Martin Moxon and Mark Arthur. Do we need a change to the structure of the county championship? I certainly think we need more matches spread evenly throughout the season because at the moment there's it's lopsided. It's all the matches in April and May and in September and not many in July and August at the height of summer. And that's one of the things that, that Rob Andrew is very keen to, to change. Uh, the, the trouble with the conference idea is I just think it sort of protects teams from poor performance. It means... It depends how you work out the point system, I suppose. But at the moment, the the idea of promotion and relegation does energise teams. Now, I know Rob Andrew says it sometimes energises teams in the wrong way in that they buy in players, overseas players, temporary overseas players who can keep a team out of Division 2 or get a team out of Division 2 rather than build for the future using academy players. And I can see that's a a short-term view that a lot of counties and indeed a lot of football teams use. But the problem with conferences is I think it just protects the status quo too much and and, and doesn't encourage enough dynamic behaviour. And just also, I think it's just complicated. I've looked at the uh, the layout of a potential conference system and it, it does sort of just add complicated layers to what is already quite a hard uh, season to understand with three different formats of the game already being played and we've obviously got this new tournament coming in as well so you've almost got four different tournaments and if one of those tournaments the kind of blue ribbon tournament i.e the county championship has three conferences and it's not that easy to understand why teams are in those conferences and who plays who. I just think it it complicates the issue. Yeah, the conference system will be based on the previous season's results. That's the idea. So there is some meritocracy in it. It isn't just random. You don't just get placed in a particular conference. It's based on your performance in the, the previous season. There is a, a, an element of truth, though, in that there are, there are a few counties now who are, who are just holding up the rest, aren't they? they? They are perennially struggling towards the bottom of the second division. Occasionally, they might have a good season and, and threaten towards the top of the second division, but they are struggling to get into the first division. There is a, an elite of perhaps 10 counties now, perhaps one or two more than that, and then there are four or five who are really struggling and you know it's hard to see them ever getting into the first division and perhaps those counties that's what Rob Andrew is saying those counties need the encouragement of something like a conference system I'm, I'm pretty open-minded about it I, I, I don't mind looking at any anything that people will feel will improve the game if, if there is the sense in county cricket that there are too many counties now getting left behind and there is too much short-termism, then it is definitely worth the debate and, and worth having a look at it. I mean, something that's been looked at before and set aside, and they've, they've stuck with, with two divisions, and what they, of course what they have done is that they've reduced the size of the first division, so they've reduced the number of matches that are played in, in a county championship season. I mean, it, it seems to me one of the biggest, or the biggest problem in the county championship is that it is played at the margins. It's played in, in April and May and it's played in September. So you're not having that variation of, of cricket over the course of the summer, i.e. you're not getting the spinners involved enough 
at the time of the year when spinners traditionally come into play and perhaps England have, have paid the price for that at test level. Ultimately, it comes down to why are you playing county cricket? What, what are you playing it for? Are you playing it for your members? Are you playing it to produce an England team? What, what are you playing it for? It's been a, a perennial question. and Ultimately, the funding for county cricket comes from the broadcast revenue principally, and the broadcast revenue is mainly put into the England team. It comes from the England team. So you'd have to say that the number one priority for, for county cricket is to produce England players. But with this new layer of uh, the T20 tournament coming in, attracting its own finance from broadcasters and potentially sponsors. I suppose you could say that uh, there is another raison d'etre for for counties and that is producing their own players to play in the big tournaments that are sort of rejuvenated in a way by this T20 tournament. And it's good to hear that, that Rob Andrew supports the introduction of the new tournament in that he feels that something needed to be done to save the county game from total disaster. There is nearly £200 million worth of debt in county cricket overall with a lot of grounds having to spend a lot of money on improvements and and so on. So it it really was a a very, very bad financial situation which hopefully over time this new tournament will remedy and every county will benefit from it and be able to be involved in it in some way even though they won't necessarily be staging matches. Of course, um, what the counties are getting out of it, bottom line is they're getting over a million pounds each because that's the the handout from the ECB for agreeing to it in the first place. I think what this conversation, this discussion illustrates, the, the debate that's going on about, about structure and about the future, is just this sense, which, which I've had for six months, perhaps a year, perhaps even longer, that the game is in, in real flux at the moment. We just don't know which way we're going with it. I was actually thinking earlier, is the game more popular now than when I started watching 40 years ago? Is it less popular? Is it far less popular? It's not an easy question to answer in a way. I remember those big matches at Lords, those big finals, and the crowd would be spilling out of the ground, huge crowds. Test matches, not that well attended. They seem to be much better attended now than they ever were before. T20, of course, has taken over from the longer form of, of, of one-day cricket. It's and yet you also sense that lower down in the grassroots, the game is not quite as strong as it was back in the 1970s when I first started following it. I just, I just sense that we have a, a game in flux. No one quite knows which way it's going. I think it's an event-led game now. And that's why, in a way, this new tournament is a good idea, because in August it will hopefully capture a lot of the country's attention. If it's well marketed and has the best players around the world and it's well covered on TV, I think it will capture the imagination. But the the, the general British public are less in touch with cricket than they probably were when you and I started watching and playing. You know, in those days, in the sort of 1970s and 80s, county cricket was a a big thing. There was lots of star players from around the world playing. It was on the BBC every Sunday, obviously, on the Sunday League or during the week in Benson and Hedges or Nat West or whatever. So I think, you know, people generally were more in touch with cricket then and probably more people had an idea about how to play the game or how the game was played. They probably played it more at schools. Now they play it a lot less at schools. And... The, the, the general cricket is not on terrestrial TV all that much. Uh, but when the big events are on, like test matches, like World Cups, or obviously you know big T20 tournaments, then people are interested. And that's what the ECB are, are trying to capitalise on, I think. 
Yeah, I think that's, that summed it up very nicely indeed. It's, it is event-led. and we, we are in a world now where the focus is, is on big events. I think that's true of all sports when you, when you look around. It's, it's the big events, isn't it? It's the Six Nations Championship. It's the, the Winter Olympics. It's the Super Bowl. It's the Ashes. It's the World Cup. It, it's those sort of things. And, and things that are on the periphery are struggling. Well, England have got the chance to put their struggles in Australia finally behind them as they embark on the New Zealand leg of their winter and we'll be reviewing their performances this time next week and also looking at the impact of the ECB's major announcements that they're making. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.